Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel back with tired Elias Randall today. You had a great hotel Thanks. experience you just told me about. Sounds like uh, yeah. Sounds like mine. Usually I can't sleep in a hotel for anything. And like I told you, if I go to a hotel, I like to go lay down about eight o'clock, and then I'll fall asleep for like four or five hours, and then I'll be up. But if I wait till like ten or ten thirty and go have dinner and drinks and stuff, I don't sleep hardly at all. Well, it makes it even harder to sleep when there's a furnace or an air con. I don't know what it was, but something. It was like every hour on the hour would just make this loud. It was like symbols hitting together or something. So hey, maybe it was not their the version. best. Not the best day. It was maybe just their version of Christmas music. Not the uh, not Marriott's most shining moment. Was Mar- you said the Marriott in Kansas City. The nor- just on the north, north side, side of Kansas City. Yeah, it's called the Spring Hill. Was it nice though? Other than yeah, the acoustic sound all night. Yeah, it's a nice place. Yeah, it was. Um, Today was a, this has nothing to do with our show, but my daughter got to ride a fire truck to school today. Did she your wife wanna... get in a car accident again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not joking, but you would be riding a fire truck. No, she won a contest at school. So all the third grade students drew a picture of a fire truck, and I haven't seen the picture yet. I don't know. I think I'll get to see it today. But the fire, the um, firefighters over in Mount Vernon selected her uh, picture as their favorite one. So she got to ride a fire truck to school. Does your daughter like art? Is she into art a bunch? Yeah, she's really she's really artistic. My daughter every night goes back into her room. We got her one of these loft beds. You know, that's the thing now. For Christmas, that was part of her Christmas present. And underneath it has a desk and like a whiteboard and her iPad. And she's back to like drawing pictures. Like she'll watch these shows on the iPad that shows them how to draw the pictures. And oh, then she'll, those are great. And then yeah. she'll freehand them. So it's pretty cool. She, I mean, it's kind of turned into some great entertainment. And she draws pictures for everybody now. Yeah. So and she's our Nellie's our oldest. Uh, so when she was throughout growing up, I always just thought that's how kids color and draw because she's our oldest one. So I didn't really know. Well, and then we had our second one, Preston, and then he, like, can't color in the – so I, I, like, thought something was wrong with him because he can't color in the lines. But actually, it, it turns out she just has kind of a talent for yeah, it. Preston's and, what, like, two and a half? No, no he's, he's four, four and a half. He's, he's London's age, right? Yeah. He's four, but if you look at a picture that Nelly draws versus – I think he draws just like probably how I did or how most kids do. And then Nelly's stuff is more like someone who can kind of see it better and yeah. is better at it. London doesn't color in the lines either, so don't feel bad. Yeah, Unless so. they both have a problem with some kind. Yeah, I just awesome. thought, <laughs> I used to think something was wrong with him because he couldn't color right. But Oh, my gosh. Um, anyway. So I was reading an article the other day out of Schroeder's, and um, it was talking about re- – achieving like retirement goals and you know the last show we talked a little bit about new year's resolutions um and how i kind of thought maybe those were like goals and i thought something striking is that gen xers which is ages 43 to 55 so i fall in on the the light end of this i'm 45 um 
feel pessimistic about achieving their retirement goals. So I always wonder, you know, are people feeling like they can't accomplish their goal because of what's happened in the economy? Like, what if we interviewed these people two years ago? Would they still felt pessimistic? Or is this just recency bias that we have a 20% drop in the stock market in 2022? Inflation's through the roof. You've hit all-time unaffordability in housing. I mean, if you think about a person today who bought, in our market, a $350,000 house used to be a pretty nice house. That same house is now like five fifty, and the rates are double. So nobody can move up. Like, does that put a damper on your retirement? Like, man, I don't know how I'm going to retire, and I'm going to have all the stuff I want. And, and I fall on the low end of this. I'm 45. And I'm not pessimistic about my retirement, but I can tell you I think about it more. And I just wonder if maybe the people think about it more, too. Part of the reason I'm not too pessimistic is, you know, I've got insight into this business, obviously. But I also don't necessarily see a time where I say, hey, I have to retire because I want to get out. Some people are like, man, I got to be done at 62. So... What do you think? I, I, do you think it's just recency bias? I mean, I think a couple things. So with what you're taught, recency bias, I think you can make a strong argument for. In 2021, I don't know who was feeling bad about their situation. It didn't mean you buy it, whether it was cryptocurrency your stock portfolio your house everything was going up like crazy right so i'm guessing 2021 people felt pretty good and rates were still low interest rates were low yeah so you could refinance you could go buy the next size house if you really wanted to um so it's probably i'm sure recency bias and you know people I'm sure with their retire and this age too, a lot of people that are good savers, mid forties to mid fifties, you're actually starting to have some money. So it's probably the first time you actually have some money in your accounts and the market goes down 25% or whatever, 30, almost 30%. Right. So that's probably a pretty negative feeling where for a lot of your saving career, um, it was a bull market. Right. And then, now I actually have some money. And now you see that go down a lot in value. And then the other thing I was thinking through this, I bet that doesn't matter what generation. If you start to ask people between mid forties and mid mid fifties about retirement, they're just unsure. Then they're probably unsure for a lot of the reasons we talk about a lot. Maybe they've never met with a professional, you know, maybe they're just and a lot of people are successful doing this. I'm not saying it's bad. They're just saving in the 401k, but they don't really know, like, they don't know if they're on track. There's So there's probably a lot of unknowns, too, to when they're asked this question. They they don't know. Um, you know, you know part answers. of it is they're ignored by our industry. 40 to 50-year-olds are ignored for the most part. I mean, under 50 by the vast majority of our industry. If you go look at what most people are doing, they're doing retirement income planning. It's where all the money is. That's where the money's at. Yeah. So there, most people are working with people that are retired or pre-retirees. If you go look at their website, whereas someone that's 40, you have to be willing to have a company that can accept those clients and accept the fact that they're going to be less profitable today than they will be in 20 years. And, you know, I know us personally, we embrace 
working with younger people because we believe it's important to get people to where they want, need to go. Not as, I mean, we clearly work with people of all ages and the demographics of this office due to some of the, the advisors we bought and that we've just been around forever. You know, it lends itself to an older age client. You know, if you have advisors who've been here 30 years, you're going to have a lot of clients who are in their 60s, <laughs> 70s, and 80s. Right. Where, you know, I know a lot of what we do with this podcast and with our radio show and our marketing is geared towards helping young people get to the point where they get to have the retirement that they want. That's actually more meaningful in a lot of cases than someone coming in here at three and a half or five million bucks and saying, help me out. Like, that's meaningful to have a great distribution plan and have a, an exit strategy per se, but we still have to get somebody there. So I also think you are right. And you said it's because they don't know. And the only people that have approached most of these people are their buddy who got in the insurance business, right? Their coworker who said, I'm a teacher coach. I'm going to go sell insurance part-time. And they got approached yeah, about, I mean, that's true. true. It's like, very true. I bet if I went and pulled all my friends, my age and younger, cause I don't approach my friends. I don't like, they know what I do. They need help. They'll come. I bet if you went and talked to the vast majority of them, the only financial advisor that's approached them is an acquaintance or a referral from somebody they know from somebody who got into the business on the insurance side. Yeah, that I would be I'd probably be shocked to hear otherwise. That's how that's how most people kind of get their first introduction to somebody. I think what you know, I think we've found our younger clients and younger families that we bring on. Um, you know, and like you mentioned, there's not as much money to be made, right, helping people get there. But the nice thing for every every young family, we bring aboard, we do a good job taking care of them. Well, our firms, like they're going to grow with us. The firm's going to grow with them and they're never going to have to go anywhere else. Well, from an infrastructure standpoint, we've set it up so that we can do that. Yeah. You know, if you were a solo practitioner, it was just Elias. You probably couldn't do that. No, you, you, it would, you don't have the economies of the scale where we have the staff and the infrastructure every here to help somebody regardless of profitability. That's never factored into our equation as to who we'll bring on as a client. We're that more interested true. in working with nice people who take our recommendations and don't keep us a secret. I mean, frankly, that's probably the barrier to entry here. <laughs> yeah, um, those are nice. Those are nice qualities of a I client, mean, right? <laughs> uh, Everyone can agree on that. Here's the second thing I thought about, though, when I when I heard this. This is really like the first generation that there's probably no pension. I, I mean, yeah, that's another part of this. You yeah. know, if you're 58 right now, you're borderline, you may have had a pension. It could have been frozen, but if you're under 50, unless you worked for an insurance company or you are a state employee or a federal employee, you likely don't have a pension. So now some, and some of the unions still do, but that's about it. Yeah. Some that's of the about unions. It. So there's not, the vast majority of Americans don't have a pension. So there's been this massive shift from pension to 401k, which means you're responsible to do this yourself. And uh, one of the statistics that I think is really interesting is that um, in the same survey, 
those Gen Xers said they think they're going to need a little over a million bucks to retire, okay? But they're expected to only have about 650,000, 661,000. So they're That's short. expectation. That's their expectation. So I'm guessing okay. somewhere in here, um, they went, there's some calculator probably that they had, like, oh, yeah, this is what we'll need. This is what we have. Here's the shortfall. And that's probably what led to this level of pessimism because, man, if you're on track for six, if you're 45 and you're only on track for 660,000, you got to make some changes. And they're probably not fun changes. No, say, yeah, saving more money, it's, it's just, it's well, discipline. No, you know, and it's always hard to have more discipline more money. no matter what. It's having less lifestyle. I was talking to our friend Brad yeah. yesterday. He was helping one of his kid's friends with the project. And like five o'clock, he had to leave. He's like, where are you going? Oh, I got this, this, and this. He's like, these kids who are 25, 26, 27, 30, they go out to eat every night. Every night. They don't cook anything at home. Just they go out to eat. Well, if you're not on track for retirement, the easiest way to to save some money is just cook a dinner. Yeah. So like, I was out I was out to dinner last night with a family that it's funny you brought that up with a family we work with. And I was looking around and there was a lot of young people dining out and it was what a Tuesday night. Which seems, and I think that's, and when you talk to older generation, they have a hard time understanding how you can have money problems and and be out to dinner three, four, five nights a week, right? Because everyone, you know, our parents and our grandparents, when they didn't have any money, they weren't doing that. You talk to them and like last night they were telling me a story, the husband was, so he came from a family of 12 kids. And he said, I don't remember our parents ever taking us out to eat. So like him and his brothers, they would do their paper route and they would sneak away to like the jack in the box so they could get fast food. That was like their, their treat once in a while. They'd go use their paper route money. But how many people, you know, like, okay, they're maybe not saving or they're pessimistic about retirement. Right, but they're not cutting back on lifestyle, and that's what it takes. They're going to cut back on lifestyle because most people can't just miraculously print another two thousand bucks a month to save. Like, they're going to have to cut lifestyle. I wish that was possible. I mean, but I'd you're right. There's that. been a huge shift in the eating habits of people in America. I feel like, and I don't have any data to back this up, but I don't know how you grew up. But we go out to eat one time a month, typically, and it was either Pizza Hut. Because I had like, you know, remember in second, third, fourth grade, you got the free little mini pan pizzas if you read a book, the book club. So I'd always read a book to make sure I got my free little pizza. And that was fun to do, right? Like Pizza Hut used to be a thing. You go dine in the store and it was a thing. If you went out to eat at Pizza Hut, is that aging yourself? <laughs> you don't even eat. There's probably never a who pizza. Who goes out to Pizza Hut? <laughs> hey, Brad and I went to a Pizza Hut in Manchester 10 years ago. They had a sit-down pizza. I'm like, let's go to Pizza Hut. Actually, we may have went to, we may have went to one in Lake Erie. Uh, but anyway. Really? I didn't think anyone did that anymore. 
we're old. What well, do you expect? I, well, I know, but isn't that – and I remember when I was a kid, we, we went out to eat there, but you don't ever see people, like, dining in at uh, the big pizza chains anymore. I think most – I don't even know – if you can most go. of the pizza chains are all just carry out yeah they're all carry well, out and delivery Elias, they figured out it's way more profitable we don't have to have a server we don't have the overhead we don't have to have the square footage right like oh we just need a little 800 square foot place with some ovens knock it out yeah kitchen and a conveyor belt oven and off you go yeah and a couple cars okay so I, when i grew up we either go to once a month typically we go to pizza hut or chi chi's so now i'm really aged myself because chi chi's definitely wasn't here when you were in town Okay, used to be right over by the mall. That was the one time. Fast forward, I meet my wife in college, and she's like, let's go to Red Lobster. I'm like, I'm not buying. She goes, oh, I'll buy. I'm like, no kidding. Red Lobster. <laughs> like, Red Lobster is where I got to go for, like, homecoming or prom or one of those things. And we're just going on a random. Fine dining. We're going on a random Tuesday night for, for you know, all-you-can-eat crab legs back in the day. But now... You look around and what that cost cost back then, that's what you can go spend at Chick-fil-A. Go 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 buy food for a family of four at Chick-fil-A. It's over fifty bucks. Oh yeah. It's even yeah, fast food's even crazy price now. So I, I think that's one of the places people are just spending a massive amount of money that they don't even know it. Because it's not like they they feel like they didn't make a big purchase. Right? Well, we just went and got Chick-fil-A. And the, there's convenience. Yeah, and it's there's, way easier than cooking and cleaning and okay, doing all and I'm, stuff. I'm not bagging on eating out because I think there are instances where if you did it correctly, it could probably be close to what you would spend at the grocery store now because the grocery store has gotten really expensive. Like if someone was diligent and said, hey, I'm going to find all the buy one, get one freeze and I'm going to find the special happy hour nights because they're out there again. You probably could do it for about the same money if you did carry out. Because once you sit down at the restaurant, it, it's expensive. By the time you get pop or soda or drinks and all the other stuff, if you just yeah. ordered carry out food from the right places, you probably could do it for almost what you're spending at the grocery store. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. But the key is carry out. So here's another interesting thing about this. So they compared what millennials and baby boomers thought about retirement millennials thought they need almost 1.3 million and they expect to have 877,000 saved boomers thought that are still in the workforce okay said it'll take 924,000 but they anticipate only having 291,000 saved you know what this is as soon as i saw these numbers millennials and Gen Xers have overconfidence of what they're going to accomplish because they think they have a ton of time on their side. Boomers, on the other hand, because the windows shrunk and they know what they have, they're like, man, I don't have enough saved. And there's really nothing they can do about it. I mean, if you're, if you're 60 years old and you've done a financial plan and you figured out that you need 900000 and you have 300000 saved, the end of the day, like it's just not enough. That you're probably not. You probably can't get there. I mean, unless you have a really high paying job where you can just sock away a ton of money, and if that was the case, you'd have more than two hundred ninety one thousand. Like you're probably not getting Hopefully. there. So I think what happens as people 
based upon the study, as people start to age, they probably get more realistic about what they're going to be able to accomplish. You know, I know we were talking a little bit about, so if you're, you know, people kind of in that age band, the 43 to 58 feel a little pessimistic and it could be for a number of reasons. Maybe, um, you know, maybe you don't have enough saved at this time. It, maybe inflation's been bothering you and you don't know if it's ever going to stop. And, you know, I think the last, the, the market, the last couple of years, um, two probably made people, people negative. Um, so I think some, some action items or what can, what can generation X folks do? If you're kind of in that you're there, you're not really sure you're maybe a little pessimistic. And I think one of the first things you can do is kind of is get with the professional and do some financial planning. So start with a plan, right? Let's maybe figure out the facts of the situation. And I know I, we can tell our listeners, there's a lot of people we meet with and it doesn't matter if they're some of the world's greatest savers um, and they have money and they have like no debt. You start talking with them. Even people that have done a great job, a lot of times, the first time you interact with them, they'll just say, we don't know. We don't know if we're on track. We don't know if this is going to work. You know, and we know, like, if we know a little bit about the numbers, we can kind of start to figure it out, right? We're still going to go through the whole process. But I think I think that's a really good starting place is, well, maybe I should get some financial planning done, some goals-based planning, and then I can decide where am I? And then what are the immediate action items? And there's probably some longer term action items too, but let's start at the beginning and just start working on a couple of those things and get either get on the path or stay on the path and do some fine tuning, just whatever it ends up being. Yeah. If you're 43 years old and we're, we're specifically talking about Gen Xers here, it could be millennials, whatever age, you've got time to make changes because change doesn't happen overnight. It just doesn't. I mean, it's like it's like going on a diet, Elias. You could lose weight over the course of three, six, nine months, but you can't just go on a like a two day I'm not going to eat anything diet and think that's going to work and lose fifteen pounds. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what's going to ha- what's realistically going to happen? The first day you're going to be super disciplined. The next day you're going to do pretty good. Then you're going to have an indiscretion. You're going to eat the cookie, whatever. And then the next day, you're tra- I mean, it's a process to get there. It doesn't. I mean. If we were all that disciplined in life, well, we'd have some pretty amazing results. But in general, it's hard. So you're right. Getting a plan and figuring out what you need to do is the appropriate course of action. But then next, once you have the plan, it's probably starting to look at what are the other like actual money steps we can take to hit retirement. And step one's probably maximizing your retirement contributions. You know, if your financial plan came back and said, hey, you need to put another way another 23500 a year, well, okay, let's make sure if your wife's not doing the 401k that she's maxing her 401k if you can do it. And guess what? That's not going to happen overnight. It's going to no. start out by, hey, let's get the company match. And then the next year when we get a 3% raise, instead of increasing our lifestyle by that, we put 3% more into the retirement account. And that's how you start the ball rolling. Yes. And the nice thing is once you turn 50 or one of the nice things, once you're 50, you can do catch up contributions. So you can, you can even add more. So like if you're starting to hit the max and then you turn 50, well, you can, 
you can do even more into your into the different accounts and, and that should help over time too like what, any any increase helps can i tell you what's really crazy about that about catch-up catch up contributions what so when i was 35 so 10 years ago i wasn't worried about that i can't wait till we're eligible to do catch-up contributions <laughs> i mean well, i've never yeah, thought about it and now you, now so you can like do 30, it what are you 32 no, I'm 35. 35. Yeah. 32. Was the internet like invented when you got married? No. Um, but <laughs> you guys will have to go back and listen to an old show to get that joke. Uh, yeah, that happened. You're excited about catch-up contributions. Con- yeah. I'm like, man, I'm only five years away from being able to sock another like 6,500 bucks a year and this in for my wife. You know, because once you start- How exciting. <laughs> the, the old... <laughs> The older you get, just the more bored you get. You're excited about the little things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So to your point, no, I've never once thought about, about when you're 45, you will. Once, once you start maxing out all your plans. Yeah. Then you and start. you're like, man, what am I going to do now? You know? And then you're like, oh, wait, in five years, I get to put another 13,000. I, I mean, it just, it is. And that's how people roll up a lot of money late in life. Like that's why they offer the catch up contribution. Hey, if you delayed and think about people's normal life, like how people's life unfolds. You get married, maybe, maybe not. 25, 26, 27. You have kids in your 30s. So in your 40s, there's probably not a ton of extra money. No, all your money's going to your kids. Right. But many people, when they're 50, the kids are gone. We're close to it, and now it's like, well, man, now we got a hammer. And I've seen people go from not a lot to a lot in a short period of time. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially if you start maxing a couple four hundred one ks, because if you're you know married and you're maxing two and you're over fifty, that can add really add up. Okay, let's be honest. If, if you have household income under two hundred thousand dollars and you can max two four hundred one ks and two Roth IRAs. You're, you'll be successful doing that. You're probably going to have the same or a better lifestyle in retirement if you start early enough than you did when you were working. Now, conversely, if you're making four, five, six, seven hundred plus thousand, and you think that maxing two Roth IRAs, do, doing two backdoor Roth IRAs and two 401k yeah. maxes are going to work, gonna it's not going to work. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a a misnomer. People are like, man, I'm doing everything I can. This should work out. And then they wake up and like, whoa, what happened? Why didn't this work? Well, it just, yeah, it just takes more money to support more lifestyle and money. It's not unlimited, right? What you have is what you have. Yeah. It's, it's a finite number like to get there, but yeah. So I'm excited about ketchup contributions. Who knew? Um, the older you get, the small things just. Yep, the small things get more exciting. Can't even believe I said that on air, but yeah. It's true. So another, um, here's another action item: get a start getting debt paid down. So, you know, I don't know that uh, we probably flipped those. Flipped them? Yeah, you I mean paying debt probably should take precedence over maxing a four hundred one k plan. Like bad debt. Yeah. Credit card debt. And yeah. yeah. Not, not like your that. house and things like that. But you know, if you had credit card debt or student loans, like you go get your 401k match from your employer, but you probably should pay the debt down before 
you start maxing out your retirement plans because, I mean, what's interest rate on debt today? No, it's a lot higher than it used to be. Yeah, then, and you're not getting a guaranteed eight, nine, ten, twelve percent anywhere. No, no. So paying down debt is, you know, another another thing that's going to have to happen, and it also. If you can have, if you can be debt free by your retirement age, it just makes your retirement income planning easier because you have less, I guess, less fixed expenses, right? So that means less money to provide the lifestyle that you have. And also at some point, you know, I think everyone gets to a point where you kind of have to start to have this battle back and forth. Should I save more? Or should I pay down debt? And I think eventually y'all, everyone gets to an age where just getting the debt paid off is going to be more, more meaningful than, than socking away extra money. And, and that's within reason. I mean, if you're talking about, well, I can save 200,000 a year. Okay. Well maybe, maybe then, but at some point I think you come to a, a time where it's just, we got to get the debt knocked out because we're getting close to retirement age, even the house at that point too. So my parents retired last summer. One of the things I told them, and this is 10 years ago, Hey, let's put a plan together to pay your house off when you retired. Did they do it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's paid off now. Like, and they probably, mean, they probably like that. Don't well, they? Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? And, right. <laughs> but you know, there was just a little bit of planning. Now, had I not said, hey, you need to pay X amount extra on this mortgage every month to get to this point. And I do it with a lot of clients. Like, hey, when you retire, let's have this knocked out. Well, it's a simple process and it doesn't take a lot of money. Paying your house off 15 years earlier from 30 to 15 years, you did a 30 mortgage going to 15. It's not double the payment. Yeah, if, what, if you make like two extra payments a year, won't you get close? Like, yeah, if you make two extra payments, I think it's like 21 or 23 years, something like that. Well, okay, so if your payments, if your principal and interest, you know, you can't look at pure payment. It's the principal and interest payment. But if you took out a 30-year note back in 2020, you borrowed half a million dollars at a rate of less than 3%, your principal and interest is two grand. So if you added 300 bucks a month extra your mortgage payment, you're knocking this thing out in like 15 years. Really? Yeah. 15 to 20 years. Let's just think about a person who has like half a million bucks borrowed, right? Pre-2020, they got a good rate, 2.75. Their principal and interest on 500,000 is two grand a month. That's to pay it off in 30 years. If they increase their payment to 2,700, so it's like 30% more. Knocks it out in 20 years, saves 10 years of payments. So it's pretty easy. If you are if you say, hey, I'm retiring at 65 and I'm 45, you can go plug into what's called an amortization calculator. Plug in your interest rate, how much you owe, how many years you want to get paid off in, and it'll spit out how much you need to pay. So for most people, it's not like this massive, I mean, let's be honest, if you can afford a half a million dollar house, you can afford 700 bucks a month more. Should be able to. But I think it's part Hopefully. of a planning tool because, and I get it, there's going to be people out there, lies that tell me, well, but I'm earning 5 or 6% of my investments and I have 2.75% interest rate. Why would I pay it off early? Well, if it's paid off, remember what we do, we live in the world of risk management. So if your house is paid off, 
we took a lot of risk off the table. All you have to be able to, uh, to do is afford the taxes and the insurance. Yeah, it took a lot of risk off the table and also provided a lot of peace of mind. Because I've had, the, I've had the con- this conversation with a lot of people um, here recently, actually, meeting with a couple, and they're, they don't know if they want to get the house paid off by the retirement date. They could. They're going to work for like five more years, and then so then kind of propose what you just taught, like the math question. Well, the math on it. So I just asked them, well, how would you feel if the house was paid off? Great. I would feel great about that. Well, there's that, that's your answer. Who care? Who cares about the opportunity cost and the investment performance versus the rate on the debt and all that? If you're going to feel great with it paid off, just feel great. It's paid not, off and feel great about it. It's not it. a mathematical question. <laughs> no, a lot of times it's not. I, I think of a story. So I, this individual I started working with about 10 years ago and she came to me and she had another advisor. And the other advisor was telling, oh, don't pay the house off. And she had an event where she lost a family member, spouse. And I said, you know, I, she asked what I thought she should do. I said, I'll just pay the house off. That's what the insurance money was for. Like, pay it off. That's why you have it. It wasn't to go invest. It was to pay off the house. Yeah, no, don't pay off the house. Give it to us. <laughs> so... She comes back right. like three or four years later, right? And she was fortunate because we paid the house off and the market went up. Like she missed out on the, right? She missed out on some opportunity cost of, hey, the market did 10 or 12% a year and you have a paid for house, right? Well, on the 150,000, was it like 30, 40,000 bucks? She comes back three years later. And I said, are you happy you paid the house off? She goes, absolutely. She's not back there calculating how much more money she could have had had the house not been paid off. Yeah, someone yeah, no, someone who's going to calculate the opportunity cost they would they would. It takes all the stress. <laughs> yes. I mean, it just does. So, I I think that that's interesting um to look at. And then lastly, if, you know, you got your debt paid down, you're not you maximize all your plans, then you have to start looking to what are kind of the alternatives to workplace retirement. Or if you haven't, if you're not going to be able to get enough money saved, right, Elias? Like some people, that person who's 61 and they need 700000 realistically, they're not probably going to get there over six or seven years. So then the alternative becomes- I have to becomes, work part-time. Yeah. Where, where can I work part-time? Can I find a job that, well, I mean, if you're going to work part-time in so-called retirement, you better like it. So- Find some lines with what you like to do. If you're a golfer, maybe you can go work at a pro shop. Maybe you can sell work golf at clubs. the golf course. Yeah, I mean, there's all Uber. Kind of, there's a lot of stuff that can just take some of the stress and pressure off of being behind that you can do for a long, long time. And you know, there's a lot of things that get people behind. You know, just stuff comes up in life, kids. You know, holidays. You know, health. And right now, since it's Christmas, lots of people, guess what's out of line? The budget. The budget. <laughs> they just got done with Christmas. Oh, yeah. Christmas. The Amazon <laughs> the, the Amazon truck is at the house every single day. Elias, you don't even want to see my garage right now. No, I don't. The number of boxes in my garage, it's overwhelming. Empty boxes. So how do you, how, how do you get rid of them? 
Like, I know the recycling truck picks them up, but... Right out there. Oh, you use the company dumpster. I break them down. You know what You know what really annoys me about the company dumpster? When people don't break down their boxes and... Break down your in. boxes. Like, I don't care if... I, I don't care if you use my dumpster. Just break the boxes down. Like, I went in there the other day. I'm not going to say who it was. All, none of their boxes were broken down. None of them. Like, <laughs> really? We're that lazy? Oh, yeah, we are. Um... Break them down. It wasn't me. I just want everyone listening. No, no, it was not. It wasn't me. anybody. Don't, it wasn't anybody s- at this company. But you know, somebody. They leave the label on the box, so you know who it is. <laughs> like you didn't couldn't break the box down. I gotta just okay. I'll tell you a funny story about this. So when I moved into my new house in 2017, uh, there was a dumpster in our driveway by the builder, and my buddy lives down the street, and he'd been dropping off like couple of bags of garbage in that dumpster. You know, builders are super protective of their dumpsters. So he starts rummaging through and finds his address in there, picks all the garbage up and walks it down to his house. The guy building your house did? Yeah. <laughs> what, he throw it well, in the driveway he, or something? He knocked on his door. He's like, here's your garbage. You've been putting it up in my dumpster. Um, but you know what people don't realize? It's like 200 bucks to empty those dumpsters. Oh, yeah. And they Dumpsters fill up expensive. super fast. Like you Especially think there's if you lots don't know of room. How to fill them up right. And if you don't break the box down, 200 bucks. Yeah, if you just throw stuff in there willy-nilly without kind of thinking about how it's all going to fit, you can't get nearly as much in there. So yeah, so, so I'm it, sure the guy building your house, he sees all those garbage bags and it was just fuming. Oh, of course he was. Um, I have so many I have more stories about it, but this isn't the time for it, but Back to how Amazon derailed our Christmas budget, just like yours. Um, they show up every day, and it's not just us; it's everybody. I mean, it's convenient. You, know, you need something, you can get it here in two days. And you know, I think part of it, you know, we live in a good-sized community, but we don't live in like a major metropolitan city where you could go drive and get everything. A lot of the stuff that we get, you can't buy in our town. Really? Like you'd have well. The special package of outliner markers. What are you going to drive around to seven stores and try to find these things? You're just going to jump on Amazon and have them here in two days. Yeah, just Amazon. There you go. So it's just become super convenient. But here's the problem with Amazon. How do you pay? Credit card or credit card bank, or, de- or bank, bank card. card, right? And Amazon, what do they have? Their own credit card. Oh, they do. Well, yeah, everyone does. Do you shop on Amazon? I don't, your wife do, I don't do any shopping. Okay. So Amazon, it literally tells you how much money you would have saved for the year if you had an Amazon card. Oh, it keeps the total for the whole year. Yeah. Right in your face. Wow. So it's probably one of the best marketing ploys of all time because you're like, well, why wouldn't I save that? Um, I don't know if I can even pull it up, but. A lot of times says, if you would have done this, you would have saved X amount of dollars. So one of the things people can start to think about is how do we get get back on track? And it's probably number one, knock off the credit cards, like whatever you racked up on that credit card. So, yeah, get the credit card paid off. Um, that bill's easy to rack up, especially during the holidays. So get that paid off. Uh, it's probably another it's probably a good time to reevaluate some of your spending. So, you know, some good places to look. Are there subscriptions that you can cut back on? 
Um, are there changes to your income coming up in the upcoming year? Are there just, is there, are there little things that you can do to just cut back a little bit? Um, and have a little bit more that you can save or use towards debt or use to getting the credit cards paid off. And I think another, I think a good step too would be start planning, start planning ahead too, maybe for next year. And what I mean by that, so I, I'm a big fan of the Christmas fund or a sinking fund for the holiday season. So every year we just, we pretty much know in the ballpark of what's going to be spent on Christmas gifts. So then there's a weekly transfer from the checking account where we do all the transacting to transacting to a savings account. So then that money is just available um, during the holidays. And I think, I think if you can get ahead of it throughout the year, it's just like anything else. It's easier one step at a time than Oh man, it's, you know, Thanksgiving and now you got $4,000 on the credit card and you're not really sure how you're going to pay it off and all that and all that kind of stuff. Did you find your Amazon account? 5% is what they they give you 5% back. I had 184 packages shipped to my house last year. 184, so every other day basically. That's three packages a day. No, yeah, a package every other day. 184 packages. Yeah. They have all the statistics. We watched 221 movies. We streamed 86 songs. 221 movies? Yeah. So what I'm trying to figure out is if, like, if I rewatch it, well, the girls are watching movies. Well, I know you don't watch movies, so, but my kids have movies. I'm wondering, like, if every time you watch it, it counts again. Oh, I'm sure. 221 different? That'd be hard to do. Yeah, I don't think... Well, I know I don't own 221 movies, so I hope I don't. Um, But yeah, so they have all your statistics. But they used to give you a number, but how much did I spend? The the card pays 5% cash back, so you could start to do math. You have 184 packages at 20 bucks a package. Starts to probably add up, and I don't know what the average packet packages i don't really want to know better sign up for your no for your five percent cash back no, amazon it's card just that's the just cash? like shields every time oh would you like to save 85 dollars in your purchase day nope i'm good how does the cash back work you can only use it at amazon it's like know. is it a credit to buy other stuff i don't know i don't have it so i don't know oh i mean if it was i guess it's meaningful but you still have to pay that card if they could give me five percent and link it to a debit card okay but they won't do that because that wouldn't be profitable. You're just getting a five percent discount then. Yeah, that's not going to happen. No. No, that that's not happening. They're they're in the revenue business. Yeah. So if you're, I mean, you kind of hit all the stuff I wanted to talk about. If your finances are off track, I think the sinking funds the best thing you can do to get ahead. I know, like I had a, I did all my business planning a couple weeks ago, and I had one expense that I didn't really expect it to be that big throughout the year. But now I know for next year, hey, this is how much I need to set aside every every two weeks to handle this bill. And that way it's not like, oh, yeah, that's coming. And you don't have to figure it out. See, start planning ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like everybody. I try to do as much planning ahead as I can. And, I mean. Do some adulting. Well, you can either figure out how to get it done throughout the year. Or you can be stressed out at the end of the year. You get to choose. 
Yeah. Who wants like, to be who wants to be stressed when you're trying to enjoy a you know, a Christmas ham and a nice drink? You don't want stress. You just no. want to enjoy it. I have two things <laughs> I need to gravy. accomplish today. <laughs> two things. Because we're filming this before Christmas. I have yeah. two things to accomplish before Friday. Okay. And once I accomplish those, I'm stress free over Christmas. If somebody calls December twenty seventh and it's an emergency that they didn't handle, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Sorry. Um, with that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you're looking to get started with a financial plan, you can go to btwellshow.com. Uh, we'd be happy to help you. If you like this, you want more content like this, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and subscribe on our YouTube channel. I want to thank everybody for listening. Hope you have a great, great new year. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax advisor. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks including possible loss of principal. Dollar cost averaging involves continuous investment in securities. Regardless of fluctuation in price levels of such securities, an investor should consider their ability to continue purchasing through fluctuating price levels. Such a plan does not assure profit and does not protect against loss.